Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Sugar Coated Murder Podcast, a brilliant true crime podcast hosted by two zany sisters, all while baking up delicious treats in their kitchen. Here are your podcast hosts, Karen Devaney and Ann Varner. Hey, y'all, hey, it's Karen Devaney. Just wanted to let you know that we are still on vacay, but while we're on vacay, we wanted to stitch two episodes together. We like to call it Recycled because we've recycled, reused, repurposed parts of two episodes that we each picked out and then we stitched them together to make a new episode so that y'all have something to listen to while we're still in exotic parts unknown. We'll talk to y'all soon. Stay sweet and don't murder. Here it is, our recycled episode for you. It is a lovely community. The people are very friendly here. But my God, <laughs> when there's the threat of a hurricane, they turn the freaking elevators off. Yeah, our dog waiter has been out of order. Holy crap. <laughs> so my dog goes out four times a day. I have had to walk up and down those freaking stairs four times a day for two days now. With no voice. With no voice. And I'm an asthmatic, for God's sake. For God's sake. It's just not working out for me. No. I, we're going to have to I have told you, just hold him up under his front paws and no. let his wee-wees point at the screen and let it just shoot through the no, screen. No, because with my luck, it'll hit the screen and splash <laughs> back at me. And then you'll laugh and it'll get in your mouth. Oh, my gosh. Listen. Never mind. There has to be a law against turning the elevators off in a building. Can somebody please research that? Yes, let us know. Is that a handicap law? Because I'll get a doctor's note. Yeah. Okay. And, and an attorney. And, well, we can't afford an attorney, but one might be appointed for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice. Can somebody disappoint themselves, our attorney? Yes. <laughs> Leave the elevators on. We're adults. We know when to not get in the elevator, but we had a couple of gusts, wind gusts, and some rain yesterday. That was it. It didn't hit us. No, but anytime they're calling, if we're under a threat of hurricane or tropical storm, oh. it's over. Clover. <sighs> So. Yeah, well, it's not working out for me at all. Right, take me to Idaho. All right, we're going to Idaho. So, Betty Gray. Lord, I thought you would say Betty Crocker. No, Betty Gray. Okay. Betty Gray de- dedicated her life to raising her kids and to running her family's pawn shop. In her free time, she baked cakes for special occasions. I love her. People around town call her the cake lady. Betty Gray. Betty Gray, the cake lady. Yes. She was well-liked and extremely nice. She met her friend Rita, and that's R-E-E-D-A, not Rita, but Rita. Oh, wow. Rita Rowdy. Mm-mm. No way her name was not Rita Rowdy. It might be Roundy. Roundy? I'm not sure I can read my... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. And she met her through work. Rita worked for a sporting good company 
that did business with the Gray family pawn shop. Okay. Rita was a loving and kind mother, and Betty and Rita became great friends and hung out with each other often. Oh, I like that. July 24th, 1989, a frantic call comes in to the Bonville Sheriff's Office, which is in Idaho Falls. It was just after 7.30 in the morning on a warm July Monday, and the man on the line said that he had just discovered the bodies, um, the two bodies of his friends at Rita's house. He said they had both been shot. Rita and Betty? Rita and Betty. Mother trucker. I know it. They took out that Kate lady. They took out the Kate lady. Yeah. And her friend. Yes. And you know she probably made cookies or something. She's probably a cookie lady. She probably did something. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. They found the bodies. (laughs) Oh, he said they both been shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Police rushed over to Rita's house where the 911 caller... Leroy, leave it. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Right through the nose. I just, <laughs> I just thought about Leroy, that. Leroy, leave it. Leave it, yeah. Are you sure it's leave it? How do you spell it? It's L-E-A-V-I-T-T. Holy crap. <laughs> leave it. Leroy, leave it. Oh, my gosh. I say that to Leroy all the time. <laughs> mm, I got to get the cookies. Get the cookies. And, uh, okay, so Leroy meets the police outside of the house. He was so upset it took police a minute to get him calmed down. And he told them that the bodies of Rita and Betty were inside Rita's house. Oh, my God. Leroy had come to the house to give Rita a ride to the airport. When he rang the doorbell, no one answered. So he walked around the house and noticed that the sliding glass door in the back was open. He walked in and yelled for the ladies. Hello. But he got no answer. Hello, ladies. Hello. He walked, he walked into the house and saw both Rita and Betty dead. That and that's when he called the police. Tragic. Yeah, it's this good. This is weird. This is crazy. I'm about to tell you something crazy. Hold on to your hat. Get out of the dough. Uh-uh. <laughs> that counts as a cookie. I stressed out for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> So, investigator. Oh, no. We got investigators. It's a new new one. Investigators. Investigators go into the house, and they discover something that Leroy hadn't mentioned. In Rita's kitchen, on top of the counter, were 18 burned-down red candles on plates in the shape of a U. What? Six candles at the top, six candles down each side. So it's a U. Six. I got it. Six. Six. I got it. Okay. Lord have mercy. In the middle were words written, um, Satan loves you. And they had been written. That Those words had been written in blood. Ew. And now, holy crap. Right? That's nasty. Yeah. That's scary. That's not as nasty as semen droplets, but it's pretty bad. That's bad. Yeah, because... Like, we haven't even seen the dead bodies yet. We're just at the kitchen. So what the heck are we going to see after this, right? So the investigators are thinking they were going to find a brutal murder scene. Like, blood everywhere, typical satanic. But they don't. First, they walk into Rita's room. An investigator said if they didn't know she was dead, they would have thought she had dozed off while reading a book. What? Yep. She was sitting up in her bed with a book in her lap. 
Her head was hanging down just a little bit to her chest. Like she fell asleep. Right. She looked like she was sleeping. There was no evidence of a struggle. There was one gunshot wound to the side of her head that had gone in one side and straight out the other. There were no signs of violence, no sign of sexual assault. Investigators then go to the guest bedroom where they find Betty. Betty the cake lady. Again, Betty looked like she was sleeping. She was face down on the pillow with one gunshot to her head. Again, there were no signs of a struggle and no sign of sexual assault. Crazy, right? What is happening here? As investigators continue to look through the house, they take note that the house is incredibly clean. Nothing had been disturbed. Sugar, they're never going to say that about my house. No. They're never <laughs> well, going to say that. Well, if they come back and say that, I'll be like, oh my God, she was murdered. Yes, Somebody you'll know. Clean. Somebody <laughs> murdered her after they cleaned or they cleaned after they murdered, but there ain't no way it's clean. Yes. Did you set the timer? I'm sure I've been here for two minutes. So you're going to want to set the timer for nine minutes. Yeah, think. Nine plus two is eleven. Well, I just need to make sure because you're not in a good mindset right now. I'm not in a great mindset. Anyway, nothing had been disturbed other than two dead bodies and the weird six 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 candles yeah. and the satanic message in blood and red. I wonder there if they really just. Was, I mean, did they bring those with them? I guess there was no indication that something sinister had taken place. It's just weird. nothing had been stolen. Nothing was out of place. They did find some blood in the sink in the bathroom, and they noticed that the toilet seat was up, which was odd. Oh, because it's just two women. Because it's just two women. Leroy Dunn went in there and tinkled, (laughs) and he did not put the seat down, and that drives me in freaking sane. Leave it. Leroy, leave it. No, he left it. That was the one time you don't leave it. (laughs) Don't leave it. Damn it. So there was evidence that the killer had made himself or herself, comfortable enough to smoke four cigarettes and enjoy Pam and Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew? Mm-hmm. Listen, and you know what? Probably Betty and Rita didn't even smoke or like smoking in the house. Probably not. <sighs> and he probably took their Mountain Dew. Oh, you know, he did. He didn't bring that with him. Gee, crickets. So they take the Mountain Dew can trucker. and they send it to the crime lab. What did they send? The Mountain Dew can. Oh, the can. The can. Not the can. The can. The can. To the crime lab. <laughs> but it was clear <laughs> that Kella had been wearing gloves. Because well, there was no shooting print. <laughs> Speaking from the gut. <laughs> oh. Keep going. Really, there was no evidence left behind other than the blood in the bathroom. And one nine millimeter bullet that was lodged in the wall in Rita's room. There were no other shell coat casings. But wait, if somebody wrote that message in blood, weren't there fingerprints in there? Well, I don't think it captures the thing. I guess it's all smeared. smeared. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bagel smear. Yeah. So this is really um, interesting because. Most satanic killings have a messy crime scene. Sure, there's, there's blood rituals. everywhere. The crime scene, this crime scene, though, is pristine. So 
It doesn't match. It, doesn't match. it seems like that satanic act was an afterthought. Right. It was a satanic something afterthought. Something to throw you off the trail. Yeah. So, I mean, what the heck happened here? Was the killer after one of the ladies or both? Or just wanted some candles. Or, I mean, is this like a cake gone bad situation? Did he just like, want what? some Mountain Dew? What happened? I don't know. Betty and Rita what were both loving mothers. Their kids were grown. They both worked. Rita's kids were devastated. Betty's daughter had just found out that she was pregnant with her second child, and she never got the chance to share that news with her mother. Betty's husband, Bill, was also devastated. He was convinced that it was some copy, that it was some copy, not copy, not copy. I didn't say copy. Crazy, crazy. The word is crazy, crazy, crazy occult killing. So. I don't believe it. The first step in solving the crime is to figure out a motive and who the intended target was. They did know that the words written in blood were written in Betty's blood. There were drops of blood from Betty's body to the kitchen. Uh Investigators figured out that Betty and Rita had been murdered between 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning. They actually found similar candles and timed how long it took for them to burn down. They know that it took 3 to 4 hours, and since the wax was still warm Mm -hmm. when they got there... They calculated between two and three. Well, I'm leaning. And more and more towards Leroy. Leroy? Especially with that seat up. Oh, you know, that, that's what did it. He's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to leave the seat up. And just piss you right the hell mm-hmm. off. That's, that's what I think you jerk. Mm-hmm. So, investigators start coming through the crime scene. As they're looking around outside, they find bicycle tire tracks in the driveway. Neither Rita nor Betty owned a bicycle. But did Leroy. So that was strange. But Leroy did own a bicycle. (gasps) So investigators start honing in on poor Leroy. I mean, you know, maybe he reported the murders after he did it. I don't know. It happens. I mean, he was, was he going to give Rita a ride to the airport on his bike? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe if everyone take her car. Maybe. I'll just ride my bike and we'll take your car. And then I'll take your car home and park it and then I'll ride my bike home. Yeah. Because I don't have a car. I have a bike. Maybe. A Schwinn. So they decided to <laughs> Schwinn. Yes. They me a Schwinn. So they called Leroy down to the station to ask him a few questions. That's <laughs> a Schwinn. Oh, Leroy. Leroy. He's been, he had been over. And visited with Rita and Betty the night before the crime. Oh. He says he left them at 7.30 p.m. and everything was fine. Uh-huh. Then he came back 12 hours later and they were dead. Leroy was very, very nervous during the interview. They suspected that he wasn't being honest about something. And they were right. Upon further investigation, <laughs> oh my they God. found out the that drama. old Leroy was having an affair with Betty. Shut the front door! Oh, Leroy and Betty, Betty were doing the dirty. Yeah. <gasps> I wonder if Rita approved or not. I don't think she cared. Oh. They had been seeing each other for almost a year. I mean, a year and a half. <laughs> That's more <laughs> than a year. I forgot to say, and a half. He had been sending her cards 
had gotten her a safe deposit box to stash money in so she could leave Bill. Damn it, Leroy. Poor Bill. You have to tell the truth. Well, poor Bill. Poor Bill. Not so devastated. I mean, Leroy was married. So well, he was he had a lot of lines. Who was he married to? Miss Leroy. Yes. Okay. He flunked a polygraph test, but his wife did tell police that he was at home when Rita and Betty were murdered. She was sure. So, she don't know because he's been stepping out on her. She also said she had no idea that they were having an affair. What a way to find out. I know, but she still insisted, despite the fact that you told me my husband is a lying, cheating son of a gun, <laughs> he was at home during between two and three. Yeah. I was plotting ways to kill him. <laughs> Investigators cleared Leroy as a suspect. He's cleared. I think that was a little rushed in judgment. Do he didn't do it. Okay. Rita's daughter, Ruth Ann, told police that Rita had mentioned an acquaintance that had made her feel threatened. As a matter of fact, Rita had told Ruth Ann that if anything ever happened to her, this man should be investigated. <gasps> was it Bill? No. Oh. This guy's name was J.W. Dyer. J.W.? J.W. Dyer. Oh. J.W. Dyer and Rita had met while she was living in New Mexico. Oh. He had stalked her when she threatened to kill her. Idaho, Betty Daho. You Daho. No, Betty Daho. <laughs> already Betty Daho. Betty, you know, You and Betty. Not, not me and Betty. I'm not stepping out. And anyway, I'm not doing it with Leroy. And Mercy Dyer had threatened to kill Rita after she turned down some romantic advances that he made. Oh my God, get over the rejection, man. I don't know. So they tracked Dyer down. <laughs> And then get an alibi from him. He was he was at home. It's the night they drove old Dyer down. <laughs> he was at home in Oregon. And the people were singing. <laughs> <laughs> they gave him a polygraph test, and he was eliminated as a suspect. It's a suspect. I'm trying really hard to get through this. Well, <laughs> puppy. <laughs> Get an interesting call 
from a security guard at a local hospital. Oh my gosh. He seen um, the news coverage of the murders. Uh-huh. And he wanted to tell police about a strange encounter that he had around 3 a.m. on the 24th of July, mm-hmm. which is the day. But. The security guard was making his rounds in the hospital parking lot mm-hmm. when he came upon a man putting his bicycle into his truck. The guard thought, that's kind of weird, because the man seemed like he was in a rush. He ducked down when he got into his truck. So the guard's like, uh, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Who you is? He asked the driver if he was okay. The man was sweating profusely and said he was fine. Oh. The man then pulled away and drove off into the night. The hospital was just three miles from Rita's house. Oh. And investigators asked the guard, for a detailed description of the man and the bicycle. Mm-hmm. The guard said the was man... Was a Schwinn. Was a Schwinn. <laughs> Schwinn. The man looked to be in his 50s. He had grayish black hair. And the bike was a girl's bike. Oh, my. Well, that'll stick out. And it had a wool seat pad on it. Wool? You know, for the cushion. Wool? For the cushion, you tushy. Yeah, but that's a you know, scratch. Like wool is scratchy. <laughs> Like a lamb's wool. Oh, you know? that's a whole different kind of wool. Yeah, yeah, like a lamb's wool. Okay. Uh, the man was wearing a backpack. The guard worked with a sketch artist, and they came up with a composite sketch of the man. Mm-hmm. Do you have it in your book? Did um, you yes, draw I drew it. it. I drew it in my book. <laughs> yes. Do you see it? Yes. Who do you think it is? Leroy. Oh, no. <laughs> I think it's Bill. Oh, God. When they looked at the sketch, they're stunned. They've seen this guy before. It's Betty's husband, Bill. Oh my God! I figured it out. I am a genius. <clears throat> I mean, first I thought it was Leroy, but then I honed right in on Bill. Yeah. Because You're... he found out Leroy and Betty were doing the horizontal bop. One would think that would cause people to be angry as a person. Angry, to and he left that seat up on purpose because he knows it gets on her freaking nerves. <laughs> Investigators go to the Gray family pawn shop. And there sits the freaking truck the security guard had described. Bill, you're a dumbass. Oh, yeah. And as they're taking pictures, they notice that leaning up against the wall... Is a girl's bike. It's... With the wool seat. With the wool itchy seat. So they start to stake out Bill, and they watch him smoke the same type of cigarette that they had found at Rita's house. You know what, Bill? It's always cigarettes, right? I mean, people should stop smoking already. It's 2020. When they confronted Bill, he was very combative, and he said he didn't do it. And he he said, I wasn't home the night of the murder. He also said he didn't know anything about any kind of of an affair between Betty and Leroy. B.S. Well, that was a lie. He knew that Betty was planning to leave him, and he knew that if she left, she was taking 50% of the assets and he was not happy about that. Well, guess what? Now he's going to get zero. Right. Zero. So, and interestingly enough, they always do this. It drives me crazy. Bill had taken out a $250,000 life insurance policy on Betty that she didn't know about. I think there needs to be a law that when somebody takes a life insurance policy out on a person, that person has then sent an official letter yes. saying this person on this date took out this life insurance policy on you in case you didn't know. I know, but they have got to find a way to get it to the person same day. Because if it goes through the mail, it could take a week, and by then you're done. And it could be intercepted. It could be. So 
courier courier phone, phone call i can't allow you without notif- this person has to be notified yes this person, not just notified but they need to be in person with their driver's license right, to right. prove it's them yeah and we're going to take that person's fingerprints you mother trucker yes I'm oh, that that mean, why can't we have some freaking laws around some here people i'm doing it i don't know what it's going to be called but i'm going to make a movement yes all right, so now we've got motive and we've got our killer. But remember, it's 1990. Oh. The murders happened in 1989, so DNA wasn't a big thing. They had no murder weapon. They had no fingerprints. The district attorney decides to move forward with the case, to not move forward with the case. He yes, says, no, no I'm not so. moving forward with this case. There's not enough evidence. Oh, my gosh, you stupid DA. But in 1991, the children of Rita and Betty filed a civil suit against Bill for the death of her mother. Wait, so Bill's own children filed yes. a suit against yes. Bill? Good yes. for them. Yes. Ugh. Yes. Because their dad's an asshole. Yes. He's a douche canoe. Yes. Oh. And they won. Oh, I love it. I hope he was left penniless. Well, the press got a hold of it. Good. And they put a lot of pressure on a newly elected district attorney. Well, that's the best kind to have. And wouldn't you know, that guy decides, hmm, I think maybe I should take Bill to trial for murder. Yeah, you think? So in April of 1992, um, that jackass Bill has now moved to New Mexico. I so guess they, so. They find him. And they Isn't that where Rita's ex-boyfriend yes. was that stalked her? What's happening in, in New Mexico? What's well, they happening? lived in New Mexico before, I guess, maybe. I whatever. Whatever. There's some connection there, but I don't know what it is. Well, I don't either. So, anyway, they, it is. You had too much to drink. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, now they've, um, they found him and they charge him with two counts of first-degree murder and one count of first-degree burglary. Because you're not getting away with breaking into somebody's house. And leaving the seat up, you mother trucker. Right. So on the night of the And you know he peed on the seat and didn't clean it up. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, I know. I know his type. I know his type. Yeah. But my husband is not that type. I just want everybody to know that because that is not who he is. Thanks for letting everybody know. I'm just saying, I don't want people to read into that. Husband's bathroom habits. They're very neat. Okay. He's very tiny. So on the night of the murder. He's a tiny tinkler. (laughs) Oh, I just want to finish my murder. I do. I'm like, but he's a tiny tinkler. (laughs) I swear. Just like a half a page. Tinkler is one of them. And um, it's all enhanced for the use of a firearm. 
yeah, yeah. sentence to two life sentences without the possibility. Good. Of that's all. two. Two. That's both of our murderers. That's Bo good. Was Fifty-three years old at the time. Is he still living? After seventeen fun-filled years in prison, <laughs> Bill Gray died behind bars where he belonged. Good. There is a book out there if you want to read more about this. Is it called The Untidy Tinkler? And it's called <laughs> When Greed Turns Deadly. It has nothing to do with Tidy Tinkler. <laughs> I have a feeling we might be coming out with a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> tiny, tiny Tinkler. Tiny? Tiny. This just went a whole nother direction. Oh, Ted. was a gas so now we're going to switch over to the next murder that we stitched together from a different episode to make a new recycled episode for you guys enjoy and buckle up all right we're back and hello 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 Hello. hi okay so i found the guy that i was trying to reference that started following us on the gram oh oh right his name is rocky foreman (gasps) wait Rocky Foreman? F-O-U-R-M-A-N. Don't he and his brothers do some crazy paranormal stuff? Yes, they have some shows. He has a show on Amazon Prime called Paranormal Nightmare Chasing Evil. Oh, my Lord. I've watched them before. That's what's so weird. See what I told you? Follow us on Instagram because famous people you like us. You could elbows, guys. You just don't know. At Sugar Coated Murder. Find us. Follow us. Do it. Give us a shout out. Do it. Do it right now. Okay. So, my time for murder. (laughs) It's my murder time. Okay. This is going to be the case of Casey Tyner. And it's T-I-N-E-R. It's not something else. And I'm just putting a weird spin on the last part of it. It really is Tyner. Okay. And she is a 16-year-old girl from Granbury, Texas. Texas? Yes. So, we are both in Texas today. So, she's in high school. She's a good student. Before I go any further, I want to just tell people that there was an ID discovery investigation episode on the show, The Lies That Bind. It was season one, episode five. And so, that's how I found out about this story. Mm -hmm. 
I watched that a couple times. And then I also did some other reading, but that was my main source. So I just want to let people know that's where the bulk of the information came from. Okay. Okay. So Casey is 16 years old, like I said, and she meets this fellow named T.J. Steele. He's, that sounds like a Hollywood name. It to does. Me. It does. So he's 19 years old and uh, they met at a party, a local uh, party. Mm-hmm. So Casey's mom didn't know that she was dating TJ until about a month into their dating. Mm-hmm. So her mom was like, uh, first of all, she didn't want Casey in a serious relationship at her age. She was 16. She was about to be 17. And she thought this is just too early to be in a serious relationship. But it became very obvious that Casey was falling hard for TJ. And her mom was like, I don't know what to do. Her mom was concerned about the age difference. But as she got to know TJ and she heard really good stuff about him from Casey's friends, she felt a little bit better about it. She found out he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He's a good driver. So, you know, all the things that a mom wants to hear about somebody that her daughter's hanging with. Right. So, go talk about TJ real quick. TJ had super blonde hair, like super blonde. And he wore it long and a ponytail in the back. So, he was kind of, you know, a little edgy. (laughs) And his sister called him a vampire all the time because he had a really pale complexion Mm -hmm. and had this almost white toehead blonde hair that he kept in this long. And she was like, you look like a vampire because of your complexion and your hair. It's like, you're not there. Wow. So um, she said he also wore all black all the time, black clothes, black trench coat, black army boots. Like he dressed the part. Right. So TJ often talked about how he didn't like the town of Grandbury, (laughs) Groundberry. But, and he always talked about leaving for the big city one day. You know, he wanted to get out of town. He was, he felt like he had outgrown the town. Right. But that all changed when he met Casey. Oh. He stopped talking about it. He's like, I'm good here. I'm good. Suddenly, I got things to do. So, um, TJ's sister said that he was totally focused on and in love with Casey. And he even started dropping some of his friends in order to spend more time with her. Oh, no. TJ's family didn't love that, that he was doing that. Um, but at the age of 19, you know, it's a, and a boy, it's a little bit different story. So, they were just going to kind of sit back and monitor it and let it run its course. Mm-hmm. So, TJ's mom said when she met Casey... That that girl was so shy, and she practically hid behind TJ. Like, that's how shy he was, which was completely opposite of TJ, who was very gregarious, outgoing. He was just, like, such an extrovert. Mm. And so she was like, I'm not sure how this is even going to work. So she really didn't think it was going to go too far. Right. In August, on August 7th of the year 2000, so we're Y2K, um, three weeks before Casey's 17th birthday, mom left for work. Casey was outside enjoying the beautiful day. She kissed and hugged her daughter and said, be safe today, whatever you do, and left. And she got home at 530 that night, and Casey wasn't home, which was not unusual. And um, But dinner came and went with no Casey. She was like, that's interesting. So her mom started calling around. She called little Ray. Don't know who Lil Lil Ray Ray is, but she called Lil Ray. Lil Ray? He said, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen her or TJ anywhere. She was like, okay, no problem. So she called this other couple, Robbie and Belinda. They were older. 
then they were definitely older than Casey. Belinda was the oldest of the four of them. But Robbie and Belinda were a couple, and they were friends with TJ and Casey. So they did a lot of couple things, like mm. hung out and stuff together. Right. And um, Robbie and Belinda were planning on leaving to go to, to move to Vegas. They were going to move. Hmm. Um, she just she also felt like she had outgrown the town, and she wanted brighter lights and a bigger town. And so she was going to go to Vegas, and, and um, Robbie was going with her. At 19? No, Belinda was older oh, okay. than that. She, I think she was in her 20s, gotcha. early 20s, like maybe 21. Um, she actually had one or two children. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so they were actually, they were throwing a, a farewell party for themselves before they left. And she said, I haven't seen TJ and Casey, but I'm sure they're going to come to our party and I'll make sure she gets in touch with you. Right. So the mom was like, okay. So the next morning after that, after the party happened, still no Casey, no contact from Casey. And so mom is thinking, okay, she thinks Casey is kind of sporting a little bit of a grudge because right before Casey kind of stopped showing back up, they had gone um, back to school shopping Mm -hmm. one afternoon and they got into a little bit of a tiff. Because Casey wanted a certain pair of shoes, and her mom said, those shoes are too expensive. You can get the knockoffs. And Casey got her nose really bent out of shape. And then, you know, they kind of got into a little bit of a tip. So right. my mom was like, well, I figured she's just trying to prove to me she's grown. Right. She's rebellious. She's just trying to prove to me I can't boss her around or whatever. And she's like, I'm just trying to be patient. So Tuesday night comes. And dinner comes around and still no Casey. Mm. So mom makes more calls. Call Lil Ray again. Lil Ray. Lil Ray said, I still ain't seen them. So as a matter of fact, no one had seen them. None of their friends had seen them. So by Wednesday, mom actually drove over to Lil Ray. I mean, where are TJ's parents? I'm going to get to that. Okay. So mom drove to Lil Ray's house just to see if maybe Casey was hiding out there. Yeah, maybe Lil Ray wasn't being honest. And there was no sign that Casey was there or had ever been there. And Lil Ray's like, dude, I'm telling you, they're not here. I haven't seen them. Yeah, Lil Ray, he's not a liar. He's not. He might be little, but he is not a liar. No. So then she picks up the phone and calls TJ's mom. Mm. So she finds out that TJ's mom is also worried because she has not heard from TJ in quite a while either. So um, the moms were angry, but then they became more worried. Right. And a week goes by and still no contact from either kid. Nobody has seen them around town. So now they're like, okay, something's going on. So they actually go on August 14th to the police. A week? They let a week go by before they call the police? They did. Well, well, first, okay, August 14th, police find TJ's car. Okay. And they called his mom and said, you need to come get his car. It had been found in a ditch in a remote wooded area with the keys in the ignition. TJ's mom was surprised to see the condition of the car because it was really messy inside. And it had, like, it had almost wrecked in the ditch. Like, it was muddy and stuff. And she said that was his prized possession. I couldn't believe that he would just leave it with the keys in the ignition in a ditch full of mud. And she said when she got there, the cop had already backed it out of the ditch Mm -hmm. and just released it to her. No processing. So she was like, it just didn't feel right to me. Something about this felt really wrong and I couldn't figure it out. So now, three weeks go by. 
August 21st, and that's when Casey's mom finally files the paperwork to declare Casey as a missing person. Three weeks. So she had been to, on the 14th, she had gone to the police to say, hey, listen, I think my kid is hiding out in town somewhere. She's pissed at me. I need to know she's okay. If you all can just be on the lookout for her, this is what she looks like. She's, you know, I wouldn't say she's, I don't want to consider her a runaway. I don't, I just think she's being a a little bit rebellious and she's trying to teach me a lesson. Right. And I laid down the law with her and now she's pissed. And she's like, but I just want to make sure she's okay. So if you see her, call me. You don't have to tell, say anything to Casey. Just let me know that you've seen her. So I know she's okay. Right. So then on the 21st, she says, I'm going to file the official paperwork. So, um, she said, you know, school's getting ready to start, and, um, she said that at this point, I just felt like it was time for Casey to come home. Sure. Like, she's proven her point. She can stay out. She can take care of herself for three weeks in a row and not starve to death, but it's time for the kid to come home. School's starting, and it's ridiculous. So... When she talked to the officers, they thought that she was also just being a rebellious runaway and maybe she she and TJ had run off to Vegas with the other couple that left for Vegas. So TJ's mom didn't believe that he would just run away. She also files the mis- a missing persons report on the same day. So um, the friends of Casey and TJ all assumed that they had just gone away together somewhere, like on a vacation. They thought maybe they were on vacation with their parents or they had gone away to on a vacation together before school was starting. So none of them had heard a peep of them for three weeks either. Like wow. nothing. So um, not even the friends. Wow. No, which is kind of, you know, you get it if she's being rebellious against the mom, but to be, I mean, you wouldn't, you would actually probably at that point be bragging to your friends. Right. So, yeah. But anyway, so um, at that point, officers were thinking about filing charges against TJ for taking Casey out of state because they thought maybe they had run off to Vegas. Right. And they said, we could file charges because he's 19. She's a minor. Right. And if he has taken her out of the state without permission of her parents, then it, we could file charges against him. But there was no proof that they had actually left the state. Right. Yeah, I mean, how do you file charges if you don't know? So they finally tracked down Robbie and Belinda in Vegas. And Robbie and Belinda said TJ nor Casey had gone with them to Vegas. They had not seen them at the farewell party, which they were really hurt about that because um, she said, well, Belinda, they're talking to Belinda, the older the older of the all of them, the girl. And she said, as a matter of fact, the day before um, Belinda and Robbie were leaving town, um, Belinda was working the night shift at a local nursing home. So that day before her shift, the four of them all hung out together. And she said they all drove her to work, dropped her off, and they were supposed to come pick her up the next morning. And then it was going to be the the party that night. Right. And then... um, they were going to be leaving for Vegas. And she said no one ever showed to pick her up from work. She was lost. Oh, I bet. So she said she waited an hour for them to come pick her up. She called her mom several times. Back then there were no cell phones. She left messages on her and mom's answer machine. And she was like, I finally just started walking. She was like, I was so irritated and I was exhausted because I'd worked a sure, shift over yeah. shift. 
So, oh gosh, I'd be mad too. That's a way. Every step down yes. that road. <laughs> so, along the way, her mom finally picks her up. <laughs> and so, as they're headed home, they come up on Robbie walking down a very rural road alone. So they stopped and picked him up, and they're like, "Why? What are you doing? Why are you walking out here alone?" And he said, "Robbie of Belinda and Robbie." Yeah. And he said, "Well, TJ and I had had an argument. TJ and Robbie. Robbie had had an argument, and TJ had kicked him out of the car and told him he could walk home. Oh dear. He said, "So I'm walking home." And she was like, "Okay, that's weird." So that night was the going away party, and Casey and TJ were a no show. So Belinda said, I was actually hurt at the immaturity of them not showing up because just over a little spat with Robbie. And she was like, I was hurt because I felt really close to them. And and they had be, I mean, we were doing everything together as couples. So I was just like, why wouldn't they just at least come say goodbye to me, even if they're pissed at Robbie? Right. You know, she was like, I'm moving to Vegas. Like, I'm moving my life. And she was like, I just, I couldn't believe that they would do something like that. So, um, okay, so she goes to Vegas, and she was like, after the party, we hit Vegas, we moved, I started my new life with Robin. So, um, after she had been in Vegas for about a week to 10 days, Belinda's mom had called her and said, you know, TJ and Casey seem to be missing. And she's like, that is so crazy. So she thought, well, they must have run off together somewhere. I have no idea, but they are not with us. Right. So, on September 26th, which is seven weeks they've been missing now, police officers go back to where Belinda and Robbie had stayed before they left town. It was known as a big party hangout for the kids, and it's where they had, I think they were renting like a trailer out here at this property. Okay. And they wanted to go and just see, like, are there any traces that TJ and Casey stayed there and Belinda and Robbie aren't being honest. Maybe there's signs that they had actually been at the party. Or maybe TJ and Casey waited until Belinda and Robbie vacated that trailer and moved in. Yeah. So the trailer was empty. Right. There was nothing out of place. And um, at that point, they felt like the kids had just eloped. So rumors started in town about Casey being pregnant. Sorry, I have a dry throat. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, rumors started floating around about Casey being pregnant. And <coughs> I knew that was coming. Sorry. And she had been scared to tell her mom about it. So, um, TJ's mom felt like that TJ would have told her if, if Casey was pregnant. She said, TJ and I were very close. He was 19. Right. And I was pretty much letting him live almost as an adult. I mean, he was in my house, but he had very few restrictions. And we talked all the time about whatever. And she said, I feel like if Casey had been pregnant, he would have come and told me to see if I would help him. Sure. And she said, so I don't believe any of those rumors. But um, neither mom ever imagined that their kids would go seven weeks without contacting them at all. Like, no matter sense. what circumstance you could right. think of by now, yeah, they would pregnant. have at least called and said, sure. we've eloped, she's pregnant, we're here, we're good, don't worry about us. And you don't or leave, send money. Like, I you don't, don't know. don't go off on another life and not be in touch with anybody. Like, especially your mom. Over a pair of shoes. 
No. Like that. No. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, I think at the, in the beginning, her mom was just trying sure. to rationalize what was happening. And yeah. she, you know, she's trying to live her life. And, you know, your life doesn't just come to a screeching halt. You, she still has to go work her eight hours at her job. Yeah. She's still, you know, she's still married. She's still trying to function and trying to rationalize. Where's my kid? Sure. And why is she doing this? Right. So, um, Belinda said that she and Robbie actually knew that Casey was preggers. She's like, we were there when she took the pregnancy test and she was pregnant. Really? That's what Belinda says. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that kind of put people on their heels a little bit. Like, was she really pregnant or was she just thinking she was pregnant or whatever? So eventually, um, you know, TJ's mom is trying to, like, rationalize things and go through her mind. Like, I'm sure every single day at that point, you play over and over the last 24 or 48 hours that you knew your kid was around. Yeah. And then you're just playing it in your head constantly. Over and over, right. Trying to figure out what did I miss. Yeah. So she was talking to the police, and they said, we understand that TJ has a sword collection. And she was like, yes, he's always been into these samurai swords. And he collects them, and they're on these beautiful, like, stand things that he hangs on the wall. And it's a gorgeous collection, and he was very prideful of it. And she said, but I will tell you that when he went missing, I didn't know what was happening. So I took all of his swords and put them in my closet. Oh. And they were like, okay, so were any of them missing? And at first she was like, I don't think so. Well, she goes home that afternoon. She starts going through the swords because she's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess... I got to figure out how many he had and everything. And she's like, wait, there is one missing. She's like, there is a very short sword that he really loved that's missing. So she informs the police. So now TJ is looking a little bit more like a suspect on the run than anything else. Why would he take a sword to run away with a pregnant girl? Like, but leave his car. Well, I mean, none of it makes any I don't know. They're getting suspicious of TJ, though. Like, what is he doing? Did he kidnap her? You know, like, they're trying to figure this out. They just don't know. So, in November of 2000... That just wouldn't be my thought. My thought would be he took the sword because they were going on the run, and he felt like he needed something for protection. Protection from who? Why wouldn't you take your car? For being on the run. But why wouldn't you take your car? Because a car is traceable. So, if you're going to go be homeless or whatever... Take a sword to keep you safe at night. That would be my thought process, but I would never. Well, his mom didn't find him suspicious, but the cops are like, maybe there's something about this TJ guy that we are missing. Right. I mean, they got to look under every rock. I guess. They really do. So anyway, in November of 2000, they've now been missing for three months. Still no contact, no trace. Not one person has heard a peep out of them. And they're like, this really is not adding up at all. So the police actually asked the county newspaper to run an article on the missing couple to see if it would stir up leads maybe from, you know, other towns within the county or just somebody in the town that goes, you know, they're running this thing and I know something. Right. Not not one credible. They had lots of responses. Not one thing was credible that came through. Oh, Nothing. And it's like these two kids have disappeared yeah. into thin air. And they're just like, this is just an enigma. We cannot figure this out. So they start looking further into TJ now. They're like, okay, we have to consider all options. So they start looking into TJ, and his friends start describing him as very goth. Oh. 
He liked to put hexes and spells on people. Oh, my. He liked to play this role-play game where he would put on a screen mask and run around with a sword, one of his samurai swords, and everybody would go hide. And then if he found you, he would chase you down and pretend to murder you. Oh, my. Very dark. They were like, well, that's kind of weird. So um, the police decide, okay, there's something about this missing sword. Maybe if we find the sword, yeah. we'll find TJ. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but TJ's really, really close friends. He had a few, like, really close friends, like his bros. Right. And they described TJ as being goth and having a dark side for pretend. They said their real TJ, when you got to know him, was nothing like that. And he was a very compassionate, very caring friend. You could count on him for anything. And they said the last person that they would ever expect TJ to hurt would be Casey. Yeah, he was so protective of her. He was aware that she was the youngest girl, the youngest one in their crowd now. He was so protective. He loved her. And he was head over heels in love with her. And they said he would never harm her. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know them. And I, <laughs> I don't know anything about their story. But I'm not getting a bad vibe from this TJ. I'm just not. Me neither. So Casey's mom actually made up some missing persons flyers with both kids' pictures on it. She took a huge stack to the sheriff's office and asked um, if they could put one in every box mailbox of the police officers okay. and hand them out at roll calls. Right. Because if the police officers had them in their car, maybe if they saw them, they would, they would recognize right, sure. them. And so TJ's mom took a stack and said, I'll start putting these up at local gas stations. Yeah. Because if you've got somebody coming through town that sees it, they may say, oh, my gosh, I saw those two kids the next town over. Right. So um, it was just weird, though, because she said at one particular gas station, she would put one up. The next day when she would go by the gas station, it had either been defaced oh. or torn down completely. And she said they would put horn draw horns and mustaches on the kids. They would write, like, nasty names beside them. And she was like, it really was so hurtful and cruel that I'm looking for my lost son. That's and they're terrible. defacing it or just ripping it down altogether and throwing it, like, literally not even in the trash can, it would just be in the parking lot. Wow. So she said, I finally stopped because she's like, it was just so hurtful. And I'm just like, who does that? Somebody really, really neat. Somebody that has no empathy. That's just cruel. I just think that's not just hurtful to the two kids that are missing. That's so hurtful to their families that are just aching for any sign of their children. So, anyway, she, um, at some point, there, a carnival comes into town. And Casey's mom is like, Casey loves the carnival. She loves the carnival. There are certain rides that she would ride every year. And this poor woman would go and work her full-time job. And then she would go and stand at that carnival until it closed every night, oh, waiting to get a glimpse of her daughter, knowing that Casey cannot resist these carnival rides. And she said, I, people must have thought I was crazy because I was just looking into everybody's face thinking maybe she changed the color of her hair. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's right in front of me and I don't know. Right. And I would just wander around until it closed. And then the next night, she'd be right there. And on the weekends, she'd go from the from the time it opened until the time it closed. Every single day. Oh no gosh. sign of her. And that gives me chills. Because I can feel that ache. Yeah. I feel that ache in that mom's heart thinking, I just need to see my daughter. I don't, 
I don't even care what she has done, why she has done it. I just need to see her, lay eyes on her. Right. So I just, I mean, I really feel her pain. So, um, like I said, she sees nothing. And eventually the, the carnival closes up and moves out of town. So in January of 2001, the kids have been missing now for six months. Wow. And police think they have a lead. An inmate says, I, I know what happened to them. They're dead, and I know what happened to them. Oh, no. So the, the investigators of the case go get the inmate out, bring him to the sheriff's office, and sit him down and said, okay, what do you know? Well, it turns out he knew nothing. Of course. He was just trying to get his charges reduced, so he was just guessing, and he, he just wanted to talk about his case. He completely wasted their time. That's so... Wasted their time. And I think he should have time added. I do, too. I completely agree. I think there should be punishment for that. So, um, Casey's mom, at one point, was riding in a rural part of town and could have sworn she saw Casey out in front of this trailer. Mm -hmm. And she said, I didn't stop because I didn't want to scare her. But she went right to the police station and said, this is what she looked like. She's obviously dyed her hair. It's very long. It's shoulder length. She had on glasses. But I know this was my daughter. The police go... It's not. Oh. I mean, can you just imagine? I, it just sad. breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart, this poor woman. So August of 2002, they've been missing for two years. <gasps> and Belinda, remember her? I do. She reaches out to the police and says, I- I'd like to talk to you. After two years? Oh, God. She wants to talk about Robbie. So she said when they were in Vegas, she felt like he knew something and wasn't saying anything. And she said, I even a couple of times asked him, like, what did you do to those kids? What? And he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't give her any answer. Because he's the last one that saw TJ. He was the last one that saw both of them. They were all hanging out before Belinda went to work. That's the last time anybody saw them. Even though he had gotten into an argument with TJ. Yes. So she said... When they were living together, she had caught him in a string of lies and finally gave him the heave-ho. She's like, he's out. He's out of my life, and I think he left Vegas. So she actually had found out that Robbie had lied to her about his discharge from the Army. He had been in the Army, and he said he had been honorably discharged. But one day, Belinda found the paperwork stating that it was due to him being a danger to himself and others. Oh, no. Not so honorable. So, and my question here is, when that happens, there has to be somebody keeping up with that person to make sure you know where they go settle, you you get them help. Like, yeah. You don't just say discharge, pack your bags, and go. And we've had this case before where another person had done some murdering, and, and it was the same scenario, but who? Who monitors that? Like, Nobody who, does. I know, but who would you? Would you have them register like a sex offender? Registers? I would have them. I would have them register with the army and, and and make them update their address and verify the addresses right, and then send a note to the police department that says this person was dishonorably discharged because we find that he is a danger to himself and the others around him. If you're if it's that bad to be discharged from the army then I think that he should be ordered to get some mental health counseling before he's even discharged. I agree. Like something has to happen. This is where we've got that break in the mental health system. Yeah, and it's just a fine line. It is. You can't, people fall through you the cracks. You cannot 
infringe on people's right to privacy, but there has to be some sort of protection in place for society. I agree, and I think at some point you have to protect 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 <laughs> <laughs> the ma- majority. Yeah. Even at the sacrifice of the one single person. I mean, no, it's but if sad. There are laws and in place to protect your privacy. privacy. So, you but when you're to, still in the military, the military pretty much owns you. Pretty much. So they can order you to counseling, right? And then discharge you after counseling. But I don't think with HIPAA laws that they can, they can tell you. I mean, it's of. I don't know if it's public record as to why why you get discharged from the military, but once you're discharged, they don't have the right to disclose no. anything. That's why I think you. there needs to be counseling before because a counselor has had interactions with, right. say, at least five sessions with this individual and would be able to tell you if they truly are a danger to themselves or not. Right. And at that point, if they are a danger, then by law, they have to report it. Right. That's where I think we need to close that loop a little Maybe, bit. Maybe, yeah. And, you know. Hey, people, look into that. Yeah. Can somebody look into that, please? Somebody <laughs> with military background and all that kind of jazz, mental health background, just all the backgrounds, look for it. <laughs> so, anyway, the police go and they track down Robbie, and he's actually living in Louisiana. Oh. So, he agrees to go back to Texas and to talk about, to talk to investigators. So, when they talked to him, Robbie said, he had always been worried about those two. Oh. And he had often wondered what happened to them. But he had not seen them for some time before he left for Vegas. <gasps> Liar. So they said, well, this is a little bit of a contradiction of what Belinda said. And he was like, yeah, she's lying. Because she's still got sour grapes about my breakup with her. Yeah. Right. So now who do you believe? Not not him. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because why would she lie? Exactly. I guess to get back at him? I don't know. But anyway, Robbie even offers to help with the investigation. So they were like, great, could you come in tomorrow for a lie detector test? And they said, absolutely. He no-showed. Of course. Of Didn't course. Didn't take the polygraph. So in December of 2005, oh we are five years missing. Some surveyors in the county 15 miles outside of Granbury come across human bones in the woods. Oh, no. They call the sheriff's department to report it, and the police go up there, and there's surely there is a human skull laying right on top of the ground in the woods. Wow. There's some scattered bones around, a pair of blue jeans, and a partial driver's license. That driver's license belonged to T.J. Steele. TJ. Yeah. So investigators, so the police officers call the detectives working on the case. Okay. And the detective said, go back up there. There's going to be a second body because if TJ's up there, Casey is somewhere. Right. So they go up there and they do a grid search, but it's very heavily wooded. So eventually they just start randomly walking around because you can't even do a grid search. It's so densely wooded. Right. Great place for a bear sighting. Yes, he's been wanting to see a bear lately. Yes, so anyway. So they go back up there, and an officer goes around the bend, and sure enough, there's another skull. Right. And this one has a very distinct nick on the back of it, indicative of a very sharp weapon. Right. 
So there was also a necklace of Casey's next to there, and there was a sword. A sword? (laughs) There was a sword with the handle broken off of it. Right. They sent it all out for analysis, and they notified the parents, which was horrible. Yeah. Their world just completely crashed. These people are thinking, my kid has eloped. They probably have a baby or two by now. They don't love me, but at least they're safe and they're out there together. And now they're dead. Right. So um, the investigation, of course, gets reopened and they start re-interviewing all the people that were originally interviewed in the beginning. So Belinda actually shows up for her polygraph. (laughs) Yeah. She tells investigators that she always knew, she always thought that Robbie knew more. And so they show Belinda the evidence that they found, including the sword. And she said, I got chills all over my body. And she said that sword belonged to TJ. Oh. But Robbie loved it so much that TJ had given it to Robbie. Oh, no. She said, and as a matter of fact, the night that they took us all, took me to work, it was in the car. With us, I remember seeing it in the car. Oh, no. So it was in Robbie's possession. And she said, Robbie had it in the car because I thought, why do you have the sword in your car? Right. It's just weird. So in October of 2006, Robert, Robbie Buttrey is his name. He was finally arrested and charged with double homicide. But unfortunately, there was no DNA. There was no fingerprints. It was all circumstantial evidence. Damn it. So the DA, DA off, the DA's office goes to the parents right. and said, we have to make a plea deal. If you want him to see any jail time, it's going to have to be a plea deal because this is not enough to prove he's guilty in a trial. We have nothing except right. circumstances. Right. And so they talked about it and they said, okay, we agree if he will just plead guilty to the two murders and do some jail time. So this is what he got. (sighs) Take a deep breath. Let it out. Okay, I'm good. Okay, I'm talking about myself. (laughs) I mean, we were still podcasting, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So he got two five-year terms to run con- Current. My golly. Which means they run at the same effing time. So it's basically five years. But when he gets credited for time served while awaiting trial, he is released after two years. Wow. In 2011. What the flipping hell? What the flipping hell? What the flipping hell? Two years. Two freaking years. Two years. And he never has to say why he did it because there's never a trial. To prove motive. So, that's that. So, police feel like... And now he's just been released back into society. Yes. So, police actually feel that Casey and TJ were just very trusting opportunities for him. That eventually he was going to kill somebody. They, it was just a matter of when and, and the timing was right. And he felt like this was the timing. It was right. It was just the three of them. He probably lured them up into this wooded area to go hiking or whatever. And he, he probably killed TJ first. And he probably, because there were no, there was nothing, there were no bones. I mean, they didn't find a lot of bones, but there was nothing that showed any strike marks. 
They think it was, he stabbed him probably and he bled out right, right there. And then he probably chased Casey, which is why she was up and around a bin, right. caught up with her and then hit her in the back of the head and killed her with right. that sword. Yeah. And that's probably what happened. And then went on about his life and just dropped the sword where it was and walked away. And that's why he was walking down that rural road that day. Right. Because he had taken TJ's car and and dropped it down that road in a ditch and then started walking home. Wow. That son of a bitch. That son of a bitch. That's crazy. So I just want to let you know that 17 years to the day he killed them, he was killed in a head-on car collision. Oh, that's just too bad. That is called karma doesn't forget. Yes. <laughs> so hopefully he took the express lane to hell yeah. after his car collision. And that's where he's been ever since. Yes. Because that story is so frustrating. It is very frustrating. So frustrating. And I just, these parents, just I just can't imagine the pain of all of that. And then you finally get the closure. And then the guy is out in two freaking years. Right. Like, what? Crazy. And how they didn't go after him and hunt him down and take care of him themselves is beyond me. Right. Because I don't think I would have been able to live on the same planet, share the same earth and same air as the man that killed my innocent kid right. and got two freaking years Exactly. Before. Exactly. So, oh, that's my murder. Oh. Frustrating. That's a frustrating that, one. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. So, but, I mean, yours was great. So, there's that. No, I don't, I don't think so. But what did you tell me the murder? It wasn't, he was called the Candyman. They, the press called him the Candyman, but it, but the murder um, was called the Pixie Sticks murder. Oh, I bet you the Pixie Sticks company didn't want that to. Yeah, be some out. people call it the man who stole Halloween or something. <gasps> I don't know. It's almost like the Grinch that stole Christmas. I know. Except it's the Ronald McDonald that stole Halloween. Yeah. Except his name was O'Brien. It was O'Brien, and he didn't steal Halloween. He stole the life of his child. That's just diabolical. It is diabolical. Gosh. Okay, well, guys. Happy freaking Halloween already. I mean, good grief. Well. It makes me want to stay away from almonds, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, don't eat a lot of them. You'll yeah. end up with cyanide poisoning. Like probably. Uh, we crazy. don't like that. We love an almond pound cake. I know. Maybe not. And I like one. an almond joy. And I love a Hershey chocolate bar with almonds. Wait, you like an almond joy? I do, because I like the coconut. That's gross. That's because you're allergic to the coconut. I don't know. Coconut always just, it's just gross. It gets up in your mouth. Yeah. It gets all up in your mouth. That's but disgusting. I don't mind it. I like it. I like the almond joy. Don't like a mounds. Huh. Because without the crunch of the almond, I can't take the coconut. Yeah, because almond joys got nuts. Mm-hmm. Mounds, Mounds don't. don't. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, I just always feel like a nut. Yeah. It's because <laughs> you are a nut. Oh, super good. Well, the nice part is we've already reviewed our social media thing. We did. We already did our spiel. We did. We did we our spieled. spiel. We spieled. We spieled. And we'll do it just one more time real quick. Instagram. Asher Cutter Murder. At sugarcoated murder. Email murder.sugarcoated at gmail.com. Facebook sugarcoated murder podcast or fan page. No, or sugarcoated murder fan page. Sugarcoated murder podcast fan page. One is the business one. Who cares about the business one? I do. We get a, that's how people find us to begin with, you ninny nuggins. 
Ninny Muggins, what's it called? Oh, it's a Ninny Muggins. <laughs> now I've moved on to Christmas already. Yay, I'm ready to start decorating right Anywho, now. Anywho, so, um, real tree, we've got a link, find it. If you don't say that right, I'm going to knock what's your head off. Link tree, <laughs> because it's a tree of links. <laughs> Dial into it. Jeez. I'm trying so hard. I don't understand. I don't understand either. Buy us a cup of damn tea. Yeah, buy us a spot of tea. Buy us a spot of tea or just find all of our merch stuff in there. Hey, anybody that's got a dog. Oh, my God. We now just have, ordered did you? a, a Nice. Yeah. What color did you get? Gray. Okay. So, I'm getting ready to order one, too. Yeah. Um, it They are the cutest little canine hoodies. And um, it actually has a hood, so it's adorable. But on the back of it, it says sugar-coated murder barking team. That is freaking adorable. Oh, it's so fun. So get your canines, a sweater, and it's all different colors, like purple, pink, red, gray, black, white, blah, 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 orange. I don't know. All the colors. Yeah, and if you find our link. In Linktree. In Linktree. Because it's a tree of links. Yes. If you go to the to first, find, so there are like three different merchant. But our the very first one is where the most merchandise is. That's Teespring. Yes, that's the Teespring one. And that's where the dogs what hoodies are. Yeah. So and if you don't have if you can't find the link tree or if you can't find the link to Teespring to find us, email us oh my God. and ask us for it and we will give it to you personally. You know what else you can do in Facebook, once you're on our fan page, you can message us in Facebook. Yes, or if you're on the Instagram, just send me a private message on Instagram. It's yeah. DM. Just slide into my DM. There you go. It's very spicy. <laughs> All right, speaking of spicy, this, this, this loaf smells divine. Oh, my gosh. So we're going to pause real quick so we can get it out of the oven and get it sliced up so we can edit. Eat it. <laughs> we're not going to edit. We're going to eat it. it. I'm going to edit this podcast. Yeah, it's going to need some editing. <laughs> All right, so please pause. Okay, bye. No. No, no just oh. hold on. Okay, we're back. This thing is steamy. The butter <laughs> melted instantly. Yeah, it's almost crumbly. Because My fingers are burning. Yeah, because, so I've got a fork that I'm going to use, but um, it's it smells so good, guys. It's just, it smells like fall. It, it just, is. oh, love it. I'm so thankful that we do these in our kitchen. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. So, and I just want to tell you that your dog has been such a gem today. Yes, because he took a a calm pill. I love that we finally found the calm pill. Yeah, and that you believe in them now, and that you're not scared of them, and that you're willing to pop one to your dog. Yes, it makes everybody happy, including including him. him. He is just. I mean, he's not even shaking. He's just no, chilling, he chilling is. like a villain up he in his is. blanket in his chair. He's being a dog. He's being a doll baby. Yes. All right, guys, I'm going to eat this. Me too. I got to blow on it. Blow. Okay. Okay. And now. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my God. Mm. Y'all are just this not going to so believe this good. is insane. Oh, I got to have some water because it is. Mm-hmm. Try this recipe. It's a Weight Watcher. Don't recipe. eat it when it's this hot. You might get a blister. It is very hot, but it's good. Tomorrow morning, when we slice it, put a pat of butter on it and toast it in the oven, Ooh, and have it with our coffee. It is going to be. Because then it gets like the crispy oh, outer just edge. Just a and little it's still nice and 
soft. Oh, so good. Yes, but you know what? You can also serve it a little bit heated up with a little scoop of vanilla ice cream. Oh, Lord. Now you're talking. Now I'm talking. All right, guys. We love y'all. We do. Stay sweet. Don't murder anybody. Because if you murder people. If you kill people. If you kill people, we will talk about you. Yes, but talking about bad stuff, it's fun. It's fun. Okay, guys. We love you. Stay sweet, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Bye. Bye now. This has been Sugar Coated Murder Podcast, a deliciously entertaining true crime podcast. Like what you heard? You can always explore past episodes by visiting sugarcoatedpod.com. Don't forget to like our Facebook fan page and share with friends. Thanks for listening to Sugar Coated Murder Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.